0: Who? Well, good morning, FCC Church.
1: Look at the sun.
0: I don't know. What do you think, Robin? I think they could do better. They can do better? All right. Good morning, FCC Church. There we go. Are you excited to be in the house of
1: the Lord this morning? All right, let's sing about it. Stand up and sing with us.
0: worship the God who is we worship the God who is Shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is showing in this place. And we won't be quiet.
2: 16 sixteen three says, "Commit your activities to the Lord, and your plans will be established." Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful for this time that we can come together for this awesome opportunity to worship. Father, today it's all about you, and I pray, Lord, that our hearts are in the right place. And Father, the things that are really hitting us this week, I pray that we can set them aside and we can put our focus on you. Lord, we thank you for the blessings that we have in you. It's in His, it's your, it's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good to see everybody today. We're glad that you've chosen to come worship with us today. And for those of you who are joining us online, we're glad to have you with us today. This morning, please make sure you fill out your connection card for us. And uh, if you're watching online, we ask that you do the same thing. Before we continue, I'm going to give you three minutes to go say hello to somebody. Go talk to somebody you hadn't seen yet this morning.
0: Oh, we look to the sun. Yeah. yeah. In Romans 8:18 8, we read, "For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us." All of creation, all of the earth, made straight a highway, a path for the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. Call back the singer, wake up the singer. Let every nation shout up your faith. Jesus is coming soon. Like a ready for you yeah. Yeah. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. I don't have to be afraid because I know that you love me. Your love never fails.
1: Please be seated.
2: dancing bear is having a good time. (laughs) You've been in a situation where you didn't know or understand the truth on a given subject, when that happens, a lot of things can happen to us. One, we can easily fall prayer or fall prey to false teaching, and sometimes to fear. And uh, a lot of times, when we don't know something about something, we go to we, we go to those extremes many times. The thing is about God: the failure to know the truth about God can, will have eternal ramifications. As we examine our passage throughout this series, we um, we see that a lack of understanding of the truth can cause us to live life in a way that's not a blessing to us or to God. In our passage today, Paul continues with the subject matter that he's been talking about a great deal, and that is the second coming. And even though Paul said in this, in this particular letter and the previous one, I've already said a lot about this stuff, people were still falling for false information. And what was happening, people were coming in for whatever reason and saying, well, Paul said this, or here's some writing that Paul did, or, or the, the Lord inspired me to say this. But the problem with all those things is they weren't true. Um, The main object of this chapter in in 2 Thessalonians was to correct an an erroneous impression that people had respecting the second coming and even what Paul had written in the past. Somebody was coming in to try to change that. They'd received the impression that the event that had not yet taken place, that they were in the midst of. And this belief produced unhappy effects on their minds. And we'll see that in chapter 2 and verse 2. So it became necessary for Paul to say, okay, I need to write you guys again about this because I want you to understand what's going on. Even yet today in 2023, almost 2024, there's been so many books written about the second coming. But even with that, there's still a great deal of false teaching on the subject. And I've always said, you know, a lot of times people have tried to get me into the discussions on, you know, What's going to happen in the end times? What's going to happen? How's it going to end? And and I know the Bible teaches what's going to happen, but there's a lot of things. The Left Behind series has made popular. They've got a, a view of it that's really not very biblical at all, but a lot of people subscribe to it. A lot of your television preachers and a lot of the guys on the radio kind of go down that same path. But the problem is when you look at those things and you line them up to Scripture, they don't line up and the other thing that we have to understand is like in the church, in the case of the church at Thessalonica, because people had an incorrect view of of theology what ended up happening is many of them were quitting their jobs and they were basically sitting on the mountain as I've said in the last couple messages waiting for the Lord to come and get them so they I don't want to say they gave up on life but they sort of did because they thought well the, the day of the Lord's here, the second coming's here so what more is there to do and so even today when I've told people, you know when I tell them it doesn't matter how it's going to end what I mean by that is what is the important part of the second coming the important part is to be ready (laughs) because at any moment the Lord could return or you know we could lose our life and when either one of those events happens it's it's over where you're going to be is where you're going to be so we need to understand that there are ramifications because with a lot of the things that are taught today what ends up happening is people think that well i'm going to wait till i see certain signs or they're going to get what i call a second chance theology they're going to see some things say okay here we go now i got to do it but the problem is what if you never see those signs what if you die before those things happen you're 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 in bad luck the undercurrent to the message today is this kind of the, the strong undertow is this where do you go for for truth? Where do you seek truth? When it comes to our faith in Jesus, we have to go to the Bible. The Bible, nothing else. No other books, no other writings, but the scriptures. I can't tell you how often people have come to me and they have had ideas about Jesus, about faith, about the Holy Spirit, about the end times, and they'll share those things with me. And as I listen to them, it becomes obvious that they don't line up with biblical teaching. Well, if the view doesn't line up with scripture, my question to them is, where is that in the Bible? And many times people don't know. And most of the time, their thoughts have come from what some preacher told them on TV or some church they used to go to, or maybe they read the Left Behind series, or maybe they read a different book, or maybe they've looked at another testament of Jesus Christ and got ideas from that. Or they've gotten something out of the Bible, but they've taken it out of context. For instance, Judas hanged himself, therefore go, therefore go do the same. Now, those two things are biblical in the taught in Scripture, but not like that. When you pull things out of context, you can make it say whatever you want to say. So when Paul, what he does, when he's dealing with incorrect theology, when he's dealing with teachings that aren't correct, what does he do? He takes them right back to Scripture. And that's where we have to go. So our message is entitled this morning, Know the Truth. And as we delve into this passage, we're going to see some things that will help us. And we'll also see that when we're dealing with things, it's so important as Christians, particularly, we have to know God's word. If you've been a Christian for any length of time and you don't know God's word, you really need to change that. I can't give you enough on Sunday morning to feed you all. Imagine if I come up to you and say, okay, here's your food plan for this week. You're going to eat on Sunday. No other food the rest of the week. I'd last till about 1235 today, but we don't do that. We we know that we have to eat through the week. It would be nice if you could just eat one big meal and it lasts you for three or four days. And I think, and I eat so much I won't have to eat for a couple days. Hey, it's five o'clock, I'm hungry again. We have to eat more than that. And just as a little bit of a teaser, I'm gonna start promoting probably I think in November. In 2024 and a little bit of 2025, we're gonna be doing we're going to be doing a series called Core 52. <laughs> and everyone is we're going to get each family unit a book and what it what it's going to do is we're going to cover 52 passages of scripture that every christian should know and if you'll spend 15 minutes a day five days a week in the book and in the scriptures you'll know a lot about the bible a lot and my hope is even people who don't want to come to church i'm hoping we can get them to at least tune in and for those 52 weeks they're going to learn some stuff and maybe that'll bring them to jesus but the thing is what you'll learn through that, and by the way, some people, well, I don't have that much time. Yes, you do. You had time to watch Sports Center, you had time to read the Wall Street Journal, or you had time to look at the cartoons, or you had time to do you got 15 minutes a day. We all have it. The question is how important is it to you? So as we delve into this message, we're going to see that we need to know the truth. And the problem is there are a lot of subtle things that can happen, a lot of subtle traps that we can fall for if we don't know the truth. And so we're going to this morning, the big idea to the message is this. Paul is encouraging the believers not to be misled or afraid concerning the second coming. And as I said, the undercurrent of the whole thing is, is just truth in general of Scripture. So I hope you brought your snorkels because we're going to go deep today. And uh, hopefully, I can, hopefully I can keep it uh, uh, out there so you can see where we're going with it. So we're going to begin in 2 second, second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says this. Now regarding the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ and are being gathered to be with him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, do not be easily shaken from your composure or disturbed by any kind of spirit or message or letter allegedly from us to the effect that the day of the Lord is always here. Let no one deceive you in in, in any way, for that day will not arrive until the rebellion comes and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction. So the first encouragement we have from Paul is simple. Don't be deceived. Now, in the latter part of 1 Thessalonians, Paul explains the events that would occur as Jesus returned. Now, when we start looking at the left behind and those type of things, what you have to look at is, what are they portraying? What are they saying versus what does scripture say? because we can like what we see on the television screen or what, like what we read on a book, but ultimately, it's got to line up with truth. And if it doesn't, we need to discard it. Some had been deceived in the, in the church of thinking that they were in the midst of the day of the Lord. In other words, the day of the Lord is a euphemism for the second coming. And this deception led to people living a life that wasn't pleasing to God. Because remember, what was it, last week or two weeks ago, we talked about here's what God wants us to do with our life as we're waiting for him to come. We're not to go hide in the mountain. We're not to just sit back and just wait. We are to be actively living for Jesus and sharing the gospel to people. That's one of the things we're we're called to do. But the wrong ideas that the people were basing their lives on was having a negative effect both on the church and them and on lost people because they weren't trying to reach them anymore. In verse 1, Paul talks about being gathered, and he uses this phrase, and it's the same phrase that Jesus uses in Matthew 24, 31, when Jesus said, "Speaking of God, and He will send His angels with a loud trumpet blast, and they will gather, his, and excuse me, they will gather His elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other." And so that same phrase is used by Paul here. Now, what this means is that God is going to bring them together, and while we're being, while while our gathering with him together does picture it sounds like if you just took that passage all by itself in other words pulling out of context it appears that paul and the readers will be alive when the lord returns that's what it can look like however when you read the rest of the passages when you read the rest of the chapter that we're going to be looking at and the thing that we have to understand by the way is what's happening in chapter two are things that will happen before the second coming not during, not after. And so what a lot of things have been going on in this day and age is there's been a conflation, they've been conflating these events with other events that we looked at last last week and come up with their own set of events. So it's important to understand that what we're looking at today are things that are precursors to Jesus returning. And then what we read in 1 Thessalonians 4 is what's going to happen as the return comes. And you can't conflate, you can't mix those things up. Now, when you read the passage, it becomes apparent that the readers at that time and the authors were not going to be alive when the Lord returned, that they were going to be one of the, some of the first rays to be caught up in the air, as we read in 1 Thessalonians 5, what people, before, what people call the rapture, which in that context, that's what that is. They're not going to be pulled up after the second, you know, after the second coming's over, they're not going to be pulled up before the second coming's over. But this is what's going to happen. And so when you look at this, now with that being said, we don't know when the Lord's going to return. And it's been a long time. And it could be a long time, or it could be in 30 minutes. It could be in 10 minutes. The question is, are you ready? That's what's important. But any notion that 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17 imply an imminent return of the Lord has to be rejected based on what we're reading here. And so Paul is trying to get them to see, guys, I know people have been saying stuff. It's not true. So we need to get out of that mindset. Now, he's basically implying you need to be ready because it could happen at any time, but it hasn't happened yet. See, the people were take they were shaken because they weren't taking Paul's teaching seriously. And what they weren't doing is they weren't taking these other teachings and lining them up with known scripture. And so they come up with false theology. When we look at this part of the chapter, verses one through three, we see an, a powerful warning about the devastating effects of deception. For whatever reason, these people were coming in to deceiving other people, and these passages highlight the importance as Christians for us to be vigilant, vigilant, I should say, and discerning in the face of misleading influences. In other words, how can you tell if something is true if you don't know the truth? We've got a lot of Christians who've fallen for some of the, some of the local cults here in town, because they didn't know scripture and the folks would bring in just enough scripture to make it plausible and then they would fall for it and so we have to be very careful you need to know your word if you've been a christian for any length of time and don't know it you need to change that you need to change that you need to start spending a little less time in front of the tv and a little more time in god's word and by the way i love the tv love those decorating shows a lot of fun but you got to spend time in the word Because being deceived can have profound effects on your life. It can lead you astray from the truth. It can cause you to embrace false beliefs, take you down misguided paths. And some people say, well, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe that is absolutely not true. Because I can believe all I want that it's nighttime here in Sierra Vista, but it's not. My belief that it's nighttime doesn't change the facts. And the same sincerity of belief does not do anything to change truth. You can be sincerely deceived. Deception can cloud our judgment. It can distort our perception of reality. It can cause division. And there are so many consequences for falling for false teaching. In verse 2, he talks about this word shaken. He says, I don't want you to be shaken. And that word is a word that was used as seagoing vessels that were flown off course by storms. And so what we have to do is we we cannot allow ourselves to have all this other noise come in and pull us away from God verse 3, he finishes it up, or he begins verse 3 with, let no one deceive you in any way, and then he explains those ways, you know, somebody can say, well, God told me this, okay, if God told somebody something, what do you do? What if, you know, Kevin comes up and says, you know, the Lord told me this, okay, what should be the first thing you do? Open Open up the word, does it line up with the word? when somebody comes up to you and says, I have another testament of Jesus Christ, what is the first thing you should do? Open the word. And when it doesn't line up, you toss it. When Just because somebody, if I just say this, the Lord told me this, the Lord told me to have you all give me gift cards. <laughs> it's sort of an inside joke. Um, and you start arguing, hey, wait a minute, how are you going to dispute me? The Lord told me this. Okay. Does that line up with truth? That's probably not a good example. What if I come up with a brand new teaching? The Lord told me that to be a Christian, you got to stand on your hands and walk backwards and do a backflip. It's something stupid. You're like, where's that in Scripture? It's not. Well, this is new Scripture. No, it's not. Because there's no new Scripture. It is what God has written. Let's look at verses 3 through 12. It says this. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not arrive until the rebellion comes and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. And as a result, he takes his seat in God's temple, displaying himself as God. Surely you recall that I used to tell you these things while I was still with you. In other words, I've been teaching you this stuff. And so you will know, and so you know what holds him back. So that he will be revealed in his own time. For the hidden power of lawlessness is already at work. However, the one who holds him back will do so till he is taken out of the way. And the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will destroy by the breath of his mouth and wipe out by the manifestation of his arrival. The arrival of the lawless one will be by Satan's working, with all kinds of miracles, signs, and false wonders, and with every kind of evil deception directed against those who are perishing because they found no place in their hearts for the truth so as to be saved. Consequently, God sends on them a deluding influence so they will believe what is false. And so all of them who have not believed the truth but have delighted in evil will be condemned. So our second observation is fight deception with truth. So when Paul is dealing with this, he first of all says, guys, I've already taught you this stuff. Why didn't you take what these other people were saying, and the implication is, and line it up against what you've been taught? But he says, listen, and remember, the events that were shared in 1 Thessalonians 4 were not going to occur before the events that are shared in this chapter. These events will happen first, and that will lead to the second coming, and we'll break that down a little bit. But many people today have falsely taken 1 Thessalonians 4 and 2 Thessalonians 2 and kind of melded them together, mixed them up, and come up with a system of theology. It just doesn't work that way. Christians are not going to be removed before the Lord returns. It's not going to happen. They will be taken up. We will be raised when the Lord returns. That's what the Scripture teaches. And, and by the way, we need to understand some of this because I know what's going on in Israel. I've had a lot of people say, oh, this is fulfilling bubble prophecy and bubble. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But but the fact is, where does it say that? Where does it say it? You know, that's where the problem comes. Well, the first event that's going to happen before the second coming, the before, not during, not after, is the rebellion will take place. As a matter of fact, Paul says we're in the midst of some of that now as he writes there's rebellion. But what's going to happen here? is the, the word rebellion, by the way, is translated from the Greek word apostasia, which basically it means to fall away. It means to rebel against political authority, to defect, and in a religious connotation, it means a defection. So if you were following Jesus and you fall away, you're, you're committing apostasy. Taken by itself now, if you just took this passage by itself, it looks like we're in that now. It looks like, hey, we're at the days of the second coming. It's been a long time, but it looks that way because a lot of people have turned from God. But see, this isn't the only sign. What will happen is when this next sign happens, people will fall away from God in a big way, or people will turn away from God and won't even turn to Him in a big way. And to be honest with you, Paul's readers probably had a better understanding than we do of exactly what that entails because Paul had taught them directly. But what's going to happen is you have the rebellion and Paul says, we're kind of in that, but not that alone. The second event is the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction will be revealed. Now, there's a lot of people through history that have been, some people said that's Catholic church. I mean, you read a lot of Protestant commentators from a long time. That's Catholic church. They're the ones causing people to fall away. Uh, Many people think it's Titus who came into Jerusalem in AD 70 and destroyed it. Uh, Some people say it's been one of the presidents, current, past, whatever. Um, But here's the problem. When you look at the passage, none of those fit the bill. This person's sole purpose will be to lead people away from God. And the way they're going to do, and by the way, they're going to set themselves up as the object of worship. They are going to be, they're going to be saying, quit worshiping that fake God, Jehovah, and you worship me. And you know how they're going to do it? They're going to do signs and wonders and false things. Titus didn't do that. None of the presidents did that. I was going to say something about how a president can make an economy disappear, but I'll stay off that. Um, <laughs> it's a little low. But, but, I mean, none of them have done these things. So, whenever we point at somebody in history say, well, it's them, it's Adolf Hitler. Horrible individual but he didn't do signs, wonders, and miracles. Now, it's true that a lot of politicians do kind of set themselves up to be God, but anyway, we won't go there. The Roman emperors, you were supposed to worship them, but they didn't force, they allowed like, for instance, in in, in Israel, they could worship God. They just had to also pay tribute to to, to, to the emperor, so they weren't even really setting themselves up as the only one. Plus, those emperors were not doing miracles. Now, The man of lawlessness has not appeared. Therefore, what Paul's saying is, we're not in the day of the Lord, because before he returns, this person has to be revealed. And this person, this man of lawlessness, isn't dealing with the law of Moses, because Jesus fulfilled that. This is a person that's going to do an all-out assault on God. Verse 4 speaks of the person sitting in God's temple. Now, Here's another place where people have just read the English and said, oh, well, this means that we need to get the temple rebuilt in Jerusalem so that this guy can do his thing, and then the Lord can come sit on it. Well, the problem with that is, is in the Greek, there are two words for temple. One of the words is pronounced nanos, and nanos is, a, is, de, is defined as a sanctuary where God dwells. Then there's a second word that's called heron, and that is defined as the place where the priest works. It's the entire temple complex, its buildings, and its courts. Now, it's funny here in this passage, and by the way, when you trace out the references in the New Testament, when it speaks of the temple, the one in Jerusalem, the word heron is used, meaning a place where the priest work. This passage uses the word nanos, the place where God dwells. And so if you take all that, and we could go into 1,500 explanations of what it could mean, but I'm just going to boil it down. What this is speaking of when it says this guy is going to sit in in God's seat in the temple, he is figuratively going to make himself out to be God, and that's how he's going to do it. He's going to figuratively sit in the temple. It's not speaking of the temple in Jerusalem, but many ministries have built themselves around that, and I just don't think it fits here. Well, the other thing about this man of lawlessness is he's being held back. And he's being held back by God. He's, we're, we're having lawlessness now, but when God lets the restraints go, it's going to get crazy. And this is when it's going to be very important for Christians to understand what's going on. Because remember, you're going to have this guy out there doing signs and wonders and miracles. And it's going to be hard not to say, wow, we need to look at scripture. What is this guy teaching? And say, oh, this doesn't line up. This is the man of lawlessness we were warned about. Um, God's going to let him roam free, but at one point, he, excuse me, at some point, God's going to let him roam free. But then the third event will take place, and, or excuse me, that's the third event when he just lets him go. He says, okay, do your thing. The man of lawlessness is not Satan, but he's empowered by Satan. Satan's going to empower him to do these signs and wonders. He's going to use every trick in the book to delude people into following him. And as Christians, we have to stand against that. Notice that the person's work will be who they'll be toward Too, Let's look at verses 9 and 10 again because this is important too. The arrival of the lawless one will be by Satan's working with all kinds of miracles and signs and false wonders. And with every kind of deception directed who against those who are perishing because they have found no place in their hearts for the truth so as to be saved. So when we see this stuff, we need to hold on to our hats because it's going to get rough. But what we need to understand is that God is allowing this to happen to those who have just rejected him. And some people will say, well, why would God do that? Well, go back to Pharaoh. God tried to use Moses to reach Pharaoh, and finally God says, you know what, I'm going to harden your heart, you're not going to change. And I think God's going to get to a point where people say, you know what, I sent my son, I've sent messengers, you've seen these things, you've got the word, you've seen changed lives, but yet you still won't believe, so you know what, I'm just going to let you have it. I'm just going to let you do whatever you want to do. It's almost like God's saying enough. If you want evil, you get it. And this passage says that those who reject Jesus will be condemned. They'll be separated from God for eternity. And this isn't something we like, yeah, those sinners are going to hell. Oh, great. Hallelujah. No, 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 no. Man, we should be even more diligent before this man of sin comes, this man of lawlessness comes to try to reach as many people for Jesus as we can and to help them to grow and to help them to understand that, hey, this, can be, this is going to be coming down the pipe, maybe in our lifetime, maybe not, but you need to be ready. And we should be more diligent than ever because as each moment ticks by, we're getting closer and closer and closer and closer. We don't come together as a church just to hear, my, hear me and Jerry preach and to pray and to sing and have great music and nice stuff. We're here to hopefully influence people for Christ, to help equip one another so we can reach more people it would be great, it won't happen. But it'd be great when this man of sin comes over, lawlessness comes over and says, "Yeah, we know who you are. But it's not going to happen. And the other thing that we see is once this guy is revealed, when Jesus returns, guess what's happening? He's destroyed. He's done, it's over. He's not going to reign for a billion years, and then Jesus, as soon as Jesus returns, he's gone is your head spinning yet because i know when i study and mine was but we have to remember though everything we've just looked at will happen before the second coming any system that puts it anywhere else is not biblical and we have to be able to do that we have to be able to understand that let's uh, look at verses 13 through 17 it says this but we we ought to thank god always for you brothers and sisters loved by the lord because God chose you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. He called you to this salvation through the gospel so that you might possess the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold on to the traditions that we taught you, whether by speech or letter. Now may, the Lord, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and, our, and God the Father who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. So, Paul's final word here is always stand firm on the truth. Paul is encouraging his readers to stand firm in the truth. He says, Hold on to the traditions, and traditions mean his teaching, the teaching of the things that we've said, the things that we've written. In verse 13 he speaks of being chosen and some people have gone off the rails with that and said well you know God had picked people in the beginning to be saved and people to be lost but the problem with that is is all over scripture we're told that God desires everyone to be saved well if God picked people who were saved and who weren't that's really not true then because if God's picking the winners and losers he doesn't really want everybody to be saved because why didn't he just say in the people hey you're all saved don't care what you do you're all saved but he didn't, and that's not what scripture teaches, but yet that's a very common thing that's taught these days through, through Calvinism. But when we talk about people being chosen, you're chosen when you accept the call of the gospel. God determined in eternity past that the, those who are predestined for salvation were those who follow the, who accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, and you can see in this passage, says, those of you who were called through the gospel by the way, everybody who believes that stuff about be, being picked in the beginning, you notice they all think they're the one that was picked. I've never heard somebody say, well, yeah, God, God chose people to be. I'm not one of them, though. you know. But I'm still in church and doing my thing, even though I'm not going. That, that's, that's just crazy. Everybody who thinks they were chosen. If you accept the call of Christ, you are chosen. You are a chosen one. And that's a, something that's amazing. And then what happens is we are sanctified. Sanctification is is a big word that just means set aside for special service or made holy. We are made holy through the blood of Jesus, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who cleanses us and helps us to live the life that God called us to live. Paul tells them to hold on to what we taught. Hold on to what we taught. Anybody who tries to teach anything contrary to the word of God needs to be ignored. Because even if a preacher gets up here and starts preaching stuff that's not scriptural, they need to be corrected or they need to be removed because we're called to, co- to preach the gospel. And Paul says, oh, by the way, God will come alongside of you. That's what the word comfort means. And he says, you've got this good hope of eternal life. And this, though, It's called a good hope because by the blood of Christ, we have eternal life through Jesus. Our life all of a sudden has joy. It has meaning. It has purpose. We know what we're here for. You know, man has always said, why am I here? I love a lot of these questions it's like when they're talking about a lot of things of science I'd like to say can I just give you a Bible and you give me all that money you're going to waste doing your research why am I here we're here to serve Jesus Christ and to bring people to God and to live a life that's pleasing to him that's why we're here and we can enjoy life doing that huh. you know there's a lot of people who live life that don't have joy They're wrought with anger. They're wrought with pain. They're carrying around shame. They're letting their past define them. They're letting sin define them. Um, Through Christ, that doesn't have to happen. The only way you should be defined is that you belong to Jesus. You're a child of God. And Jesus brings joy, worth, and purpose to your life. You don't have to wander through life wondering, Why am I here? You know, I've had people, even when they've been sick at the end of life. Well, I don't know why God. I don't know why I'm here. And I always tell them, God's got you here for a purpose. And when that purpose is done, I've got a friend of mine that says something we're, "We're eternal until God calls us home." Something along that lines, and that's so true. We have purpose in Christ. Our application today is very simple. We can stand firm in the Lord when we know the truth. And so, as Christians, it's our job to learn the truth, to study the truth, to teach the truth. And I think, as I said before, to live that truth. This morning, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're going to give you that opportunity to do so today. You've got a God in heaven who loves you. And I've said this before so many times what ends up happening to us in life is we make mistakes, we all do. But for many of us, we let those mistakes define who we are. I mean, we can look throughout history and see. When we think of John Wilkes Booth, okay, he kind of made a mistake, didn't he? And he's been labeled by that. He's a guy who assassinated Abraham Lincoln. And for you young people, you can Google Abraham Lincoln because you probably don't learn about it in school anymore. But anyway, you can can see these things. But see, in your life so many times, how many people have defined you by something you did wrong? Or how many times have you defined yourself by your mistakes? Not a good feeling, is it? The way we're defined is by who we are in Christ. Christ gives us definition for life, purpose, and joy. Jesus went to the cross to die for your sins and for mine. And therefore, you don't have to allow those sins to ba- to drag you down. They, you don't have to allow them to carry. You don't have to carry them through your life. When you're baptized into Christ, you just let them go. God takes them. If that's what you need this morning, you give that opportunity. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward. If you're struggling need prayer, it would be great to have you come forward. I'd be glad to pray with you. But if you have a decision, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing our song of decision. I got to be honest with you, when I, when we, Jerry and I picked this series last year to do, um, I'd forgotten that I had second Thessalonians as a part of that, and I was like, man, I really, I told Jerry, I said, I'm going to be sick this week, so you can do this one, but uh, that would have been suspicious, but um, I like the way the whole thought of the second coming ties into our communion, because when we take communion, one of the things that we're saying is we expect him to return that we believe he's going to return. We're not just taking this cup that represents his blood and, this, and the, that was shed on the cross. We're not just taking this bread that represents his body that took the punishment for us. And we're not just doing that to say, okay, this is what was done. We remember that. But we're also saying we believe he's coming back. And one of the things I've, I've actually enjoyed in First and 2 Thessalonians as we've delved, dug, delved into the second coming stuff is the fact that he's coming back. And I think sometimes it's been, it's been a long time. We think, well, it's not going to happen. But the great thing about the length of time is it gives us, it's given more and more people the opportunity to come to him. If he would have returned just 20, some, about 20 years after he was resurrected, none of us would be here. None of us would have the opportunity for eternal life. And so part of me, as much as I'd say, Lord, can you come back today? Part of me is I like, you know what? Take your time because we have time to reach more people. For Jesus Christ and so when we take our communion this morning it's not just about something that was done but it's about something that's going to happen and that is he's going to return and he's going to call us home to with him let's pray together father we thank you for this opportunity that we have to come around this table to remember the sacrifice your son made but also to remember that he's not in a tomb and that he's coming back and that we look forward to that with great joy Father, help us to make the most of the time that we have, either before our time on earth passes or your son returns. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. inside of your bulletin. We have many announcements. Jerry has all of his youth activities today. Roger's group's meeting. We have Young at Heart on Monday. Jules' LOL group meets Tuesday. We have all of our Bible studies on Wednesday. Friday, we have prime time at Mandalay. If you would like to go to that, please sign up before Tuesday uh, afternoon so that we can get you on the calendar. A harvest party preparation is underway. If you'd like to help with that, make sure you see Jerry. Uh, We're also taking all kinds of candy and collecting things for dime toss, and you can see the announcement about that. Operation Christmas Child, I'm going to show a video on them in just a moment. Uh, They are looking for pencils and and pencil sharpeners and things like that. Also, as a church, we're going to have a Thanksgiving dinner on November 12th, so we have a sign-up sheet in the foyer. Make sure you sign up uh, so we know you're coming, and if you can bring something, that would be great to share because the church will provide turkey, ham rolls, and drinks, everything else you'll need. Also, we have our annual business meeting coming up on December 3rd at 4 p.m., I think that's all the announcements that I have for this week. So i want to show you a clip from Operation Christmas Child so you can see the impact that each one of these shoeboxes has.
3: Suriname is a special country because God is working here.
1: My name is uh, Frederick Juli wongso I'm a pastor
3: of this church and Karin is my wife. The children need love, need attention, also a father figure. God can be their father that loved them.
1: In 2011, we built this building and at the same time, God has opened the door and we are connected to Operation Christmas Child. And the first time when they get a shoebox box, they're very excited and so happy. you see a smile in face. We not give them only the box, we tell also about Jesus.
3: Through the Operation Christmas Child, I share the gospel. I'm a teacher at a primary school, working with little children from um, four to 14 years. And that is the opportunity to share the greatest journey. I share God's love with the children through the pictures, through the um, books. The greatest journey is also a journey for the children where they learn to talk with God as their father and to share the gospel.
1: Together with the church members, we come together and we play soccer. And so we can play and talk about the Bible. A young boy, uh, his name is Eurition. His life changed when he gave a soapbox. And he said, I will be a drummer in the church. Um, ik ga ook van hem dromen spelen omdat ik zag toen ze in de kerk de droom speelden van het getelig de dag die ik de gift kreeg heb ik iedereen mijn hart genomen daarom um, de heren wil dat ik de droom speel omdat hij met de talent heeft om die, die drum te spelen. I believe when we pray and we pray also every day for the children and I believe he touches the children.
3: My hope for Suriname is that more children getting involved with the greatest journey and that every child in Suriname become a follower of Christ.
2: All right, so if you haven't picked up boxes, we have boxes in the foyer, and um, you can fill those up, and there's instructions on the inside of those, and these boxes have a real impact on children all around the world, and we're thankful that we can be a part of that. On, in the inside of your bulletin, we have a lot of things that we're praying for. We ask that you take note of them. Uh, we have a lot of cr- stuff going on in Israel and that part of the world, and pray that that gets resolved soon and it doesn't spill out all over the place. Um, pray, we're praying for Operation Christmas Child it's our outreach, we're lifting up CareNet, the mission that we, one of the missions we support uh, we have people we've been praying for with health issues, we have troops who are deployed and we, we're, we may end up having more at some point so keep, keep all them in your prayers as well as our shut-ins so at this time let's stand together let's go to the Lord in prayer and our band will lead us out with a song this morning Father God, we are thankful that you are God and that you are in control. And We know there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on around the world, a lot of horrible things right now, Lord, and I just pray that they get resolved soon. And Father, I just pray too that as we look at life that, that we live it in such a way that glorifies you and that brings us joy and it brings you glory and honor. And I pray, Lord, that we live in such a way that people want to know about the great God that we serve and that we have the conviction of faith to share the gospel with them. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.